Now, Julie's going to be uh, teaching us. And it's on the, uh, the Day of Atonement. So I'd encourage you, I'm just going to do a reading now from Leviticus chapter 23. So I um, believe Julie's going to be preaching from there. So might as well open your Bibles up to there and follow along with me. So Leviticus chapter 23. And I'm going to be reading from verses 26 through to verse 32. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourself and present a food offering to the Lord. And you shall not do any work on that very day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people. And whoever does any work on that day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. And it shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict yourself. On the ninth day of the month, beginning at evening, from evening to evening, shall you keep your Sabbath. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Blair. I didn't tell Blair. I'm actually not going to speak from Leviticus 23. Um, And I'll I'll just tell you why. (laughs) So I I went ahead in the daily readings and I saw, great, Leviticus 16 is on atonement, which is perfect, perfect. The day of atonement begins at sunset on Wednesday this week and it carries through obviously for 24 hours, and um, Leviticus 16 is on the reading list for that day, and also Hebrews 8 and 9, which ties in beautifully. And when you read those two together, it's, it's very enlightening. But it took, I timed it in the prayer room yesterday, it took me five and a half minutes to read Leviticus 16 out loud. And I thought, we just can't do that this morning. (laughs) So I'm going to take you through Leviticus 16 without first reading it and then going through it, okay? So that's pretty much what's happened. Leviticus 23 has a really nice, succinct description of the Day of Atonement, and that's why I asked Blair to read that this morning, Leviticus 23. So now that you've got Leviticus 23, can you just go back to 16? Chapter 16, because that's where we're actually going to be this morning, which is a much more detailed um, description of the Day of Atonement. Now, can I just see a show of hands? How many of you would be able to say or tell someone next to you, what is the Day of Atonement about? Yep, great. There's a few in the room. Well, the Day of Atonement, for me personally, I think this is probably the most complex festival to understand. What is this day about? Why is this so significant? Why is it solemn? Why is it called Shabbat Shabbaton, which means the highest, most holy, a Sabbath of all Sabbaths? And, you know, and the fasting uh, must happen on this day. Um, and anyone who doesn't do these things is to be killed. Actually, that's what the text says. Um, so we need to we need to kind of get over our issues about God's wrath, uh, and uh, if we're going to be able to understand this. So um, it's a very very high and holy day on the Hebrew calendar. 
and there's good reason for that. So that's what we're heading into. And I was reminded this week of the proverb in uh, Proverbs 25 verse 1, where it said, it is God's glory, or it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it is the glory of kings to search it out. And Day of Atonement is like that for me. It feels like every year I go back to it, because I still have, like, God, I don't understand quite how this fits together. And search it out and search it out. And every year since it came on my radar in 2008, it's like there's greater understanding and revelation. And the same thing has happened again for me this year, studying it in order to be able to teach it so that we can enter in more fully into the significance and the solemnity and the holiness and the awe and the wonder of this festival the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Covering. So, Holy Spirit, as we start this today, I'm just asking that you would visit us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I thank you for what was going on in the worship today. I thank you, Lord, for your activity among us. And I ask you just to release insight today. Like silver and gold, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first slide, and this is just revision, and Jason mentioned this when he was talking about the Day of Trumpets. Let's say this together. Can you see? I've given little clues there. Um, actually, who can say it? Quick, quick, quick. Who, who thinks they can say this? Really quick. All right, God's rehearsals for God's people to participate in God's story centered on God's son, restoring God's creation for God's glory. Well done. And there it is. There's the next slide, if we can have it. And let's say it together. God's rehearsals for God's people to participate in God's story centered on God's son, restoring God's creation for God's glory. What are we talking about? What, what, what is this? What is this describing? What are we referring to? Yes, the biblical feasts, festivals, celebrations, whatever you want to call it. There's seven of them, really. Um, uh, yeah, there is. There is seven. And two different seasons of the year. There really is seven. And today, we're looking at Day of Atonement, which is the sixth one. And shelters, which you've just heard about this morning, is coming the season of our joy, and that's the seventh one. All right, so Day of Atonement. So Leviticus chapter 16, you're there, right? So look at verse 30, where it says, On this day, atonement will be made for you, meaning Israel, and it's national. Before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. That's a lovely, succinct description of what the Day of Atonement is. This is God's festival. This is God's initiation. This is God's declaration to the nation. On this day, atonement will be made for you before the Lord. You will be clean from all your sins. And it is different to Passover. Sometimes we can get those two confused because Passover... Um, was deliverance from a cruel and oppressive slave driver, yes? So absolutely, deliverance by the Lord Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, right? The deliverance is, is, it's been foreshadowed. 
But each family had to take a lamb, right? Each family. And there was this personal element of we, of getting, getting on board by faith, me and my family and the blood on the doorpost. This, the day of atonement is a national issue. Got to get that. This is the nation collectively being purified or made clean from all your sins. And it doesn't just apply to the people themselves. Every article within the tabernacle, right, had to also be cleansed. Now, we don't, this is like weird to us, really. So how did the altar of incense sin, we say, that it had to be cleansed with the blood of, goat, you know, this, this bull and this goat? Because we don't understand and we don't appreciate that sin is so pervasive, right, that everything we touch, we don't get that. God understands that. The earth is decaying. How come? Because we live in it. Yes, I'm into that. Oh, we're right on board with climate change right now, just for oh, no, no, 10 seconds. Because we know, because we know what God's doing and we know the outcome. And that's where we get off board, right? (laughs) Okay. But he wants us to look after the land. There's no question about that. He gave us that responsibility. Okay. So the Day of Atonement, this is the next slide. The Day of Atonement centers around a specific ceremony. It's quite complex that the high priest must conduct before the Lord annually on behalf of the people for national forgiveness and cleansing. It is the holiest day on the Hebrew calendar and mandated as a Sabbath day of rest and fasting. Mandated. Like you don't want to be caught not doing this. The word atonement means to be at peace with God or at one Really important for us to understand that because we have all different ideas about the, you know, what atonement is and, and what's involved in that. But it is at its absolute core and essence, it is what is required for us to be at peace. What makes us at one with God? It's an easy way to think about it. Atonement, at one meant. All right. So it's rich with revelation. There's a lot we learn about God's mercy and justice, his magnificent and eternal unfolding story, his covenant commitment to establish his son as ruler of the kings of the earth and his promise to dwell on the earth again. It's all in here. It's all in this. So here we go. And we're just going to run through this really quickly Chapter 16, verse 3. Got your Bibles open? Here we go. Here's how it went on the Day of Atonement. These were God's specific instructions. By the way, the tabernacle, did you know that the tabernacle, God said to Moses, like when he's given all the measurements and this is how you build a tabernacle and it's got to be this and that and this many, this and that, whatever, and it's got to be here and here and here and, you know, the outer court, the inner and then the holy, holy of holies and all this, I, ho- I hope there'll be a little bit of a picture. But if that's new to you, it's really worth studying. That is, he said, look, get it right, because this is a copy of one that's in heaven. And the writer to the Hebrews says it again in chapter 7. It's a copy 
of one in heaven. Now that might just be the thing that you take away today. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? There's like a temple in heaven at which Jesus presides as our great high priest. Hebrews 8 and 9 are going to be marvelous for you to read because it's all about that. So this, this, there's a lot that hasn't passed away. <laughs> in fact, it initiated in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Got it. Tabernacle. Think tabernacle just for a moment. So here we go. Verse 3. The high priest entered the sanctuary with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Okay, that's the first thing we read about. And these were to atone for his sin and the sins of the priesthood. Okay, so there's a cleansing of the priest before he can even, not just him, him and his family, before he can even engage in this on the Day of Atonement. Then, verse 4, he puts on the sacred linen tunic. Then, verse 5, he takes two male goats, really important, from the Israelite community as a sin offering to atone for the sins of Israel. And then he takes a ram, and that's going to be for later on, as a burnt offering or a fellowship offering. Verse 6, he offers the bull for his own sin to make atonement, to make at-one-ment with God for himself and his household. How many, how many times do you guys do that, I wonder? Any men got any bulls in the backyard? You know? I think the issue there is taking a lead as families to make sure that we're at peace with God, right? Verses 7 to 10, he casts lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. Now, whose translation says Azazel? Fantastic. We've got some Azazels in here. Whose translation says scapegoat? Yes. How many of you don't know what your translation says? That's the rest of you. Yes. All right. So... Very interesting. And I just want to make a few couple of quick comments here. In Hebrew, the word is Azazel. And that's why, and some people, you know, there's been lots of conjecture about this, lots of discussion, lots of what is this? What is this Azazel thing? What does it mean? What does this term mean? Because there's no explanation for it. It's just a Hebrew word. So there's one goat for Yahweh and there's one goat for Azazel. La Yahweh, la Azazel. Okay? That's what it says. So your Bible, if it says that, that's why it says that. Because that is the literal, that is exactly what it is in the Hebrew. If your Bible says scapegoat, I want to just let you know that that is actually Christian theologians' attempt to try to understand what's going on with the Day of Atonement. And to say, well, this goat... Um, clearly is the goat that the sins are placed on and then the sin is totally removed um, and it, and borne away. So therefore, this is the scapegoat. And actually, that, that word scapegoat, if you look it up in the dictionary, it'll give you a reference to Leviticus 16 because that's where it comes from. It means the person who gets punished for the, you know, like they get the... It lands on them and they've got to bear it. It wasn't even their deal. It wasn't even their fault. Okay, that's the scapegoat. So moving on. Oh, okay, so Azazel, um, uh, in, in, in Jewish thought, 
was like either a fallen angel or an evil spirit or, or, or something like that, um, but definitely a demon or an evil spirit. That's definitely what it is. There were some rabbis who thought that Azazel meant that actually the place out into the desert where this goat would go, a solitary place, and of course the goat would die there. And as I said, there are Christian theologians who have interpreted as scapegoat. That's why your Bible says scapegoat. Tuck that away. We're going to move on. Verses 11 and 12. The high priest slaughters the bull and its blood is set aside. Then he takes a censer full of burning coals and fragrant incense and he takes them behind the curtain. Verse 13. The smoke of the incense fills the most holy place, concealing the gold lid of the Ark of the Covenant so that he will not die. Then, it's the blood of the bull first, and then the goat when it's killed, and you'll see that through verses 14 and 16. Anyway, the blood of the bull first, and then the goat is taken into the most holy place and sprinkled on the lid of the ark and in front of it on the ground, and in this way he makes atonement, that is the high priest, for the most holy place. Verses 16 to 19 is all about the cleansing of the tabernacle and the furniture in the tabernacle. So the high priest does the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. And those sacrifices and the blood even of the animals and there's, there's just the, the presence of mere people in the tabernacle touching things, you know. It's like, don't touch that. It's holy. But they do touch it. And there has to be a cleansing. It's really interesting. Verses 20 and 21. And after this, the high priest brings forward the live goat. And he lays both hands on the head of the live goat and confesses over it all the sin and rebellion of the Israelites. Then the live goat, verse 21 and 22, is led away to die in the wilderness. It is removed from the camp never to return. Verses 23 and 24. Then the high priest goes into the tabernacle, takes off the linen garments. He bathes himself with water in a holy place and puts on his regular garments. He comes out, verse 24 and 25, and sacrifices the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, the two rams for himself and the people, and he burns the fat of the sin offering on the altar. Verse 27, really important, and this is consistent with all the other instructions uh, for priests serving in the tabernacle or the temple. The tabernacle was the first one, right? That was the portable one. The carcasses of the sin offerings, the bull and the goat, are burnt outside the city. And if you read Hebrews chapter 13, there's that, that really interesting verse where he's saying the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. And there's that cleansing that takes place with the blood being sprinkled. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. That's really worth thinking about. What does it mean to go to Jesus outside the camp? bearing the disgrace that he bore. Perhaps that's what Paul was thinking about when he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering as well as, right? As well as the power 
of his resurrection. And then finally, verses 29 to 31, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, two, two pictures of perfection, seventh month, 10th day. You must deny yourselves and not do any work because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. It is a Sabbath of rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. And we'll stop there in chapter 16. But let's go back. Let's go back to the goat. The goat that is removed from the camp. Don't you kind of feel sorry for him? Maybe that's the point. Let's go back to the goat. And I, th- I, remember, I remember saying last year, just imagine yourself, you know, year after year, you're watching this and this happens. Okay? There's a goat for the Lord and there's a goat for Azazel. Unlike the regular sin offerings being offered throughout the year, the Day of Atonement offering for Israel involved these two goats one is chosen it says in verse 10 one is chosen well, 9 and 10 one is chosen for the sin offering and is killed and its blood atones for sin through cleansing the believing hebrew i'm going to i've used that very deliberately and cleansing the tabernacle the other goat has the sin of israel and all the defilement everything everything that's been okay it's all placed on this goat's head with both hands by the high priest, and it is sent away to die. What do you see in this? I've pondered these two goats a lot. A lot. (laughs) And particularly the significance of the second goat. Because together, if you read verse 9 and 10, it's like together these two goats somehow make atonement, right? For, for, the, for the people. It's the bull for the high priest and his family and it's these two goats for the people. Atonement. They make atonement at one moment, okay? Together they fulfill the requirement. They create the picture that we're supposed to understand what is required to bring peace with God at one. God's holy requirement for humanity to be at one with him. Just turn to the person next to you and share what you think that is. And if you're like, I don't have a clue, just tell them that. What is required? What does it mean? What is the picture about? <laughs> okay. All right. What, what, can we, what is definitely going on? We know the first, it says, it tells us in the text, what, what, what was the deal with the, with the first goat? What's the first goat about? What's it? What's it about? The first goat. Can someone read the verse? Just, 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 what does it say? Verse nine. No, that's the bull. The bull was for cleansing the priest and his family. The two, <laughs> the, the, the goats, verse 9. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. There we go. What's a sin offering? 
Offering for sin. Yes. (laughs) Twist it around and it all makes sense. It means that the Bible tells us there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. You know that, right? This goat is for that. And you know what? They are used to this. Sin offering, this is not a new language for them. They've been, this is part of what goes on. This, there's offerings, many offerings. They're not all for sin offerings in the, te- in the tabernacle or the temple. There's burnt offerings, there's grain offerings, there's thanksgiving, peace offerings. There's all sorts of offerings. But this one is a sin offering, which means it's to deal with sin. Okay, so that's the first goat. But the goat chosen by Lot as the, well... The NIV says scapegoat, but I want to say the first, but the goat chosen by Lot for Azazel, because that's what it says in the Hebrew, shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness. So what's, what's the deal with the second goat? Really simply, used for making atonement, right? Used for making atonement, okay? Verse 10. By sending it into the wilderness. So we can say it's used for bringing, it's it's about making peace. Is it a sin offering? No, it's not. So it's not about forgiveness of sins, is it? It would have to be killed if it was about forgiveness of sins because there's got to be blood. Some of you understanding? Yeah? Okay. I know this is complex because we're not used to this sacrificial system and not many of us have poured over Leviticus to pull out the jewels of what God is teaching in Leviticus. I'm getting there slowly. <laughs> it interests me. So what's going on here? The second goat, okay, so together we know that there is forgiveness of sins and cleansing from sin because Leviticus 16 verse 30 talks about cleanness right there's a purifying there's a purifying process that has to take place forgiveness of sins is not necessarily the full picture (laughs) right do you get it not necessarily the full picture it is a prerequisite Forgiveness of sins is a prerequisite. How many of you are thinking 1 John 1 9 right now? Who can say that verse for me? 1 John 1 9. Confess our sins. Did you hear that? Forgive and cleanse. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So, how is this goat? Taking part in atonement. One goat is sacrificed blood. Forgiveness. Did you hear that? One goat, no blood. It's not about forgiveness. But it has to go together. Two goats. The other one is to do with cleansing. Do you get it? You're like going, yeah. So how does the sins put on that goat's head cleansing? This is the most profound answer. Are you listening? Because God said so. 
Does anyone want to argue with that? If he said that goat is about cleansing, that goat is about cleansing. Right? So it's our glory to search this out, isn't it? How? What is this about? The two goats reveal both the mercy and justice of a holy God. Goat one, let's say, okay, for the Lord, right? This is goat one. Goat one for the Lord. He gets killed. Yay. You want to be goat one, right? (laughs) Or do you want to be goat two? Hmm. Seems like here. (laughs) Goat one for the Lord. It highlights God's merciful provision of an atoning sacrifice. Okay? That's what it's speaking of. There is an atoning sacrifice for Israel. Israel, the nation, and it is the first goat. This is the positive aspect. This is the aspect of sin. We should be jumping up and down. The aspect, sorry, not of sin. This is the aspect of sin being removed and forgiven that we should be jumping up and down about. We love this. This is the gospel message. This is part of the gospel message, not the entire gospel message. This is God's merciful provision for us. And is part of the atoning. Oh, part of. Is this some new religion? No, because atonement is, what is it again? How to be at peace with God. And you see, in our thinking, we just go, well, that's it. And that's the only bit that matters. Well, I'm telling you, the Bible doesn't say that. God is really into cleansing. Cleansing and purifying. Isn't he waiting? Isn't he waiting for his son to have a pure and spotless bride? Yes. She's already forgiven. Yes. Pure and spotless is what he's waiting for. So it is important. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Yes. Amen. Paul says, if you know this, Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you understand this, I'm appealing to you, brothers and sisters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And this is just your reasonable act of worship. It's not even fantastic. It's just reasonable. Like this is what any reasonable person would do in response to having their sins forgiven. Right? And 1 John 3, 3 says, and everyone who has this hope in Christ, what do they do? They purify themselves just as he is pure. Cleansing matters to God. Purity matters to God. He's holy. He's a holy God. Goat number two for Azazel. Whoever Azazel is, 
I'll tell you who I think he is in a minute. What we see here, this is the negative aspect, if you like. If you call the other one positive, we love that message. This might be a little more negative. This is the aspect of sin being removed. But it is showing that if I reject the provision of an atoning sacrifice from a merciful, loving God, I will bear my own sin. It sits on me. It's not noble to be self-righteous. It's not noble to be good. It's foolish. If it sits on me, then I should bear it. And there's only one place that I can go if I'm going to take on that responsibility. And that's why I think Azazel represents humanity refusing to accept God's merciful provision for whatever reason, whatever reason. Therefore, they must bear it themselves and eventually that will lead them to being removed permanently from the presence of God. It is what God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. Death. That goat is a solemn warning to us and to the people of Israel year upon year upon year. And whatever our excuses why we don't run into his presence and receive his mercy and grace in our time of need or why we think whatever it is that we think excuses us from not having to take this purity, holy cleansing of God seriously, we need to think twice. This picture is prophesying from the very first day they celebrated this, that there's only two ways this can go. And either we receive the merciful atoning sacrifice of God, which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, or we bear our own sin and our rebellion will lead us to death. Whether it's death when you leave this earth, or death because you're alive when he returns and there will be a judging of our hearts. Why would we not choose the merciful option? And yet we know, don't we, from the book of Revelation that there's going to be many people, Psalm 2, raging against the authority of Jesus when he returns. What happens? What happens? What happens at that moment? There's a sacrifice in Bosra, isn't there? Those of you know what I'm talking about. Isaiah's picture of Jesus coming up from Bosra. What's he drenched in? Blood. When Jesus returns to the earth, those who hate him, he is going to destroy. Because he's come to bring restoration. He's come to clean up this earth. He's coming. 
to purify it and present it to the Father, right? And it involves a whole lot of judging, but he's going to do it. He's going to do it and he's the only one qualified to do it because he was the sinless sacrifice. He made provision for it and now he will execute it, the cleansing, the cleansing of the earth, the cleansing of the whole earth is his glory. And what will people be saying as he's doing it? Just and true. You know the song in Revelation, just and true are your judgments, O God. Just and true. We've seen the martyrs. We've gone through the great tribulation. There's a sacrifice in Bosra, just and true. Jesus, our great high priest, come now and take that intercessory role and deliver, not atonement. Not atone, not, 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 sorry, not the bearing of sins, not that part, not that part. It says that in Hebrews, he's not coming back to bear sin again. He's coming back to deliver those who are waiting for him. How is he going to deliver those waiting for him? How's he going to do it? Is he not going to do it through judgment? Is he not going to do it through destroying The Antichrist and the armies of the Antichrist who have surrounded Jerusalem at that time. This is the ultimate fulfillment of day of atonement for Israel. You read it in Zechariah 12. Right? The nations have surrounded her. They've surrounded her. And what begins to happen? The Lord begins to fight for them. That's what begins to happen. Suddenly he's fighting for them. There's panic. There's plagues on the the horses. There's chaos. God is fighting for them. And through this whole process, you read it, Zechariah 12 and 13 and 14 and actually 10 to 14, read the whole lot. This is what's happening. He comes to fight for them because there's been a sacrifice in Bosra. Do you remember the fifth seal? Do you remember, just ditch the PowerPoint. Do you remember the fifth seal? The fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6. What is going on? Come on, some of you, you're studying Revelation. Fifth seal, chapter 6. The martyrs, the martyrs call out from under the altar in heaven. Under the altar in heaven. Oh yeah, that's right. There's a temple in heaven. They're under the altar. Which altar is it? There's blood. Which altar is it? The altar of sacrifice, the brazen altar. They're calling out. How long, Lord? These are the martyrs from the ages, like the ones who are already dead right now. They're calling out. And what's the answer? Just a little while longer until the full number, until the full number has come in. When does the full number of the martyrs come in? During the Great Tribulation. Revelation refers to that later, right? Who are these? They're the, mar- they're the ones who've come out of the Great Tribulation. Are you with me? What happens? What happens? 
at the seventh seal, there's an angel opening up Revelation 8. I've gone way off track. It's all right. Revelation 8. Revelation 8. What is going on? There's an angel. There's a priestly angel and he's got a golden censer. Does he not? Seventh seal. And he's filled it with coals from the altar. Which altar? Altar of sacrifice. There's only one. That's where they always take the coals from. The altar of sacrifice. Morning and evening. The priest had to burn incense in the holy place. Grab the coals after the morning and twilight blood sacrifice. Do you get the connection? Sacrifice. Take the coals. Intercede. Get the connection. This angel has been to the altar, which means there's been a sacrifice. And I want to put to you this morning that the Lord in his holiness is going to leave everybody without an excuse. And that the blood of the martyrs in the great tribulation is the blood that is going together with the prayers of the saints. You and I praying together, going up as incense out of the censer, the angel approaches the throne. There's no veil anymore. He approaches the throne. And he brings it to God. What's the result? He hurls the fire down to the earth. And there is lightning and thunder and an earthquake. What's happening? I'll put it to you that the wrath of God begins from that moment. And that as the trumpets, the angels with the seven trumpets line up to release their trumpet judgments, we see that God marks people. Right? He does, doesn't he? He puts a seal. You, you, you go and see there's protection for the people who love him at that time. But that judgment is coming down. And it's like God is saying, son, I've waited. This pure and spotless bride who did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. But by the word of their testimony in your blood, son, they've overcome. They've overcome. Now is the time. Now is the time for judgment, says the Lord. The wrath of the Lord has come. What does it say then, chapter 6? The day of his judgment. Everyone's hiding. It's coming down. It's coming down. But you know what? The Lord is patient right now. He's not delaying because he forgot about this. He's delaying, he says in his word, because he doesn't want anyone to perish. And he's bringing everything to its perfect, what the Bible says, at the appointed time. Jesus was born at the appointed time. And Jesus will return at the appointed time. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. And I want to say, in the early years, after Jesus returned, 
the birthing of the church. Those apostles, most of them were martyred. They went everywhere. The blood of those apostles, right? Unless a grain of wheat, Jesus said, drops, falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So what is that abundant fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about in John 15? He's talking about death to me and life through Christ. Right? In the letting go, in the dying to myself and living for his glory, there is amazing life. In the trusting him, the righteous shall live by faith, the just shall live by faith. Faith in something they cannot see, but something that's coming so fast, we need to see it. Those martyrs, those early martyrs, I think Paul got this. Because you know what he saw happening? He saw that in that last days, Jew and Gentile were going to become one in Jesus. And in those last days, out of the great tribulation, the majority of them are not going to be Jews, by the way. We know that, don't we? Because the population of Israel is really small compared to mega world. So the Gentiles are going to be giving up their lives. Our Afghan brothers and sisters right now, but there's many, many, many others. And there will be another crop, if you like, or another harvest of martyrs before Jesus returns. Because... Jesus has a covenant with Israel. And Paul said, that day's coming. And all Israel, there's a day, all Israel will be saved. Read Zechariah chapter 12. It's really clear. God fights, the Lord fights for them. There's blood, okay, the sacrifice. There's blood. There's more blood than just the martyrs, but there's the blood of the martyrs. That's what God's got his eye on. (laughs) Go, son. You fight for them. They realize Messiah is fighting for us. They look at him and they realize it's Jesus. Right? And it says, God himself pours out a spirit of grace and supplication on the house of David. All the inhabitants of Jerusalem, whether they're Jews or not, everybody who's there at the time, a spirit of grace and supplication. And the weeping and the mourning and the wailing is such as never been heard or will be heard again. And that repentance, think day of atonement. Jesus, the great high priest, (laughs) he's coming. He's riding in to deliver them once and for all. It even says in chapter 13, and then he opens up a fountain, a fountain of cleansing water. Where? Where does he open that up? In Jerusalem. Zechariah 13, in Jerusalem, and he cleanses them from all their sin and impurities. This is day of atonement language. God has set up a day when he's going to save 
through his son, Jesus Christ, to the uttermost and fulfill every covenant promise to Israel. And we, this time, are going to be involved and the shoe's going to be on the other foot. And we're saying, come Lord Jesus, and overcoming by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb and as needed, our very lives. And it's all swirling together to make everything that God does perfect, pure, holy, just, and without accusation. Do you get it? Wow. It's amazing. It's just amazing. And it doesn't end there. There is a great white throne judgment. And it comes after the thousand years of Jesus' reign where he starts to bring peace and healing and restoration to the earth. And how desperate we are going to be for it. How desperate. I keep saying, Lord, can we be any more desperate? And he's like, yeah, you're not desperate enough yet. To the bride of Christ, you're not desperate enough yet. You don't love him the way he deserves to be loved. He's not coming back till he has that bride, that kind of bride. That's what he's worthy of. And he wants us to respond to this message. There's got to be a response. Revelation 20. Great white throne judgment. After the thousand years, the dead are judged. Those who have already died. It says here, John said, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And they were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, it's happening. This cleansing is coming to its ultimate conclusion. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We read Matthew 25 this week. Did you read about the sheep and the goats? Okay. Then... Chapter 21, the bride, the wife of the lamb and the holy city, Jerusalem, will come down out of heaven from God and the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And verse 27, look at verse 27, chapter 21 of Revelation. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life. This one's on the this, this, this screen. It's slide 27. <laughs> Jesus' words, look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done, according to how they have lived. New life. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. We're told to wash our robes. To have the right to the tree of life and to go through the gates into the city. Outside of the dogs who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices 
falsehood, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. finish here and I just ask the worship team to come up. We need to respond to God today. Number one, turn to God and receive his merciful provision for forgiveness and cleansing. You may never have done that. I don't know. If I don't, I will bear the wages. If you don't, you will bear the wages for your own sin, which is death. John 3, verse 36. We're in the gospel of John right now. Chapter 3, verse 36, listen to this. Whoever believes in the Son, I haven't got that fully written out. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. I'm just going to find it. And whoever does not believe in the Son, yes, there's a verse 36. Okay. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's what it says. God's wrath remains on him. Number two, we've got to be a people who run into his presence every day to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Otherwise, you know what? That is a form of bearing our own sin. My refusal... To see him as a merciful God, as a gracious God, right, is is pride. Oh, no, I'm not worth it, God. No, it's not about what you say about yourself, you prideful person. It's what Jesus says. It's his blood that speaks a better word, not you. You be silent in his presence. And either surrender to Him or go your own way. There's only two choices. But if I run to Him, He'll show me my sin. And He will release His mercy. And He'll release His grace. Because He's generous and He's good. And He always wanted this. Number three, practice daily confession of your sin. If you don't have a family you can do this with, find someone. Find someone that you can confess your sins to on a very regular basis. If you're a family, make it a family habit. Become. Let it be a celebration. Become families who sit around the dinner table and say, Oh, would you forgive me? Parents, train your children not to say I'm sorry. That's just the do- that's just the foot in the door. It's would you forgive me? And then you restore one another. Learn how to restore one another. As family, speak scriptures over each other. Restore. What if we did that? What if we actually did that? What do you think would be the difference 
in your family life, in your own life. Because our sin has to be cleansed. Why are we dull? Because we're not following his pattern. It's simple. And it makes us prideful. And we think we don't need it anymore. And number four, put to death the sinful things that lurk within you. Colossians 3, 5. As I said before, 1 John 3, 3. If you have this glorious hope in you, purify yourself out of love for Jesus. Become pure. And if you're like, it's too hard, I've tried. That's probably the problem. You've been trying. And you haven't learned to lean into the grace of God. You're still doing it on your own, which is over here. Come on. We have to be over here. Jesus is beseeching us to come to him. For for what only he can do. That we would take off those garments of pride and the shame that so easily hinders and entangles us and yes identify with his disgrace because he scorned the shame what is it that's stopping you this morning is it going to be worth it honestly is it going to be worth it the time of Jesus return is drawing close of surrender and I actually think it's important to do it publicly I do this is one of the one of the the times when we go you stand up out of your chair and say Jesus take me as I am please take me as I am I am so sorry I am so prideful I've been trying to fix myself up for you and that is so repugnant that is so is filthy rags my righteousness is just it can't even make it can't make it in anything but we do it and he's saying come and confess it and do it publicly I'm, I'm coming Jesus I'm re committing myself to resting completely in your merciful provision and that you will be faithful to complete the good work that you've started in me. And as I take off sin, as I make different choices, you're going to give me the grace. And I thank you that I am clothed and hidden in the blood of Christ and the mercy of Jesus. Amen.